This is Darrell Alalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 185. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what is going on good people welcome to a brand new installment of the before the millions podcast and on this installment we are talking all things real estate meshed with technology so this niche or niche is otherwise called prop tech. And we've invited multifamily owner, Mr. Kent Ritter as today's guest. Now, Kent is a former management consultant turned startup owner who had a massive exit from his company, got all this money and was like, all right, well, what do I do next? So Kent dabbled in real estate from a mortgage standpoint, but ultimately found himself in the multifamily space as an owner operator. And this is after years of study and research and actually passively investing in other people's deals. Now, as an operator, Kent's number one priority is to create returns for his investors. So he took his background, he took his success in healthcare technology, and he translated that to real estate to start to use, again, prop tech to realize better returns for himself and his investors. We also get into Kent's personal life. We talk about Kent's take on the Miracle Morning. We talk about some advice for our listeners as far as advantages for buying smaller properties as opposed to bigger properties and what a conservative underwriter does and doesn't look like. And underwriting is just simply the process of vetting a deal, of running the numbers, of seeing if it's going to make sense or how you can make the numbers make sense or what you need to buy the deal at for it to make sense. So we're going to talk about all of that here on today's show. But before we get to that, our giveaway, our prop stream giveaway results are in. And if you're a part of Before the Millions Tribe inside of our Facebook group, you know that we announced winners last night and we even gave out some extra prizes, some extra bonuses. So So what I want to do now is announce the winners for our podcast audience, but the winners have already been emailed and they're already getting their free one year subscription set up for PropStream. So if you know nothing about this giveaway, once a year, starting actually this year, this is the first one. You can't call it annual yet, but next year we'll be be able to say that this is an annual event. But once a year, we give away two, not one, but two PropStream subscription giveaways. Now, PropStream normally offers a free trial. But 
we wanted to go above and beyond. We didn't just want to give you a free trial. We wanted to give you a subscription and not for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days or four months, but an entire year so that you have what you need to be able to find real estate deals, to be able to analyze these real estate deals, to be able to have access to information that most people don't have access to as far as MLS level data, and then to be able to market in this same software to all of those deals. So this is the same software I use in my business, all of my students, all of my clients, and most of the guests that come on the show. And now, not one, not two, but three lucky winners of our giveaway. Yep, I said three. Yeah, we've been promoting it as two this entire time, but yesterday I pulled a trick out of the hat and I said, we'll give it to one more person as well. So that is an entire $3,600 value. We had some other prizes as well. I gave away a few 90X journals. And if you don't know what the 90X journal is, just head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 90X. It's a quarterly writing journal that I use in my business every single day. Okay, now for the winners. The winners of our prop stream giveaway goes as thus. Our first winner is Mrs. Lana Atkins. Our second winner is Mr. Jordan Mosley. And our third winner is Mr. Peyton Watson. So these winners, again, have already been notified, but I wanted to thank these winners and I wanted to thank all of you who've been supporting this podcast for the past three or four years. It's been absolutely amazing. And I want to thank all of you who left a review. Many of you left a review over the past two or three months and you didn't even submit a submission like so that. Let me know that you left a review out of the kindness of your heart. And I truly, truly, truly appreciate that. So congrats to our winners. And secondly, I actually wanted to read off some of our reviews. We haven't done any review reading in a while, and we have collected quite a few in the past few months as we've done this giveaway. So first up, shout out to Ali Investments, who says, honest and direct. BTM is worth your time and attention. The subject matter is informative and thoughtful, particularly for new investors. The topics are easy to locate and always have suggestions for next steps and how to learn more. I appreciate how DeRay challenges his listeners and gives step-by-step guidance on how to get started. Subscribe. It's worth your time. Thank you, Ali. Next up, we have Soup 26 Thank you, DeRay, for the work you've done. This content has helped me get out of my own way and become clearer on what it is that I want and how to get there. Can't recommend enough. Thank you, Soup 26 Much appreciated. This next one is from Giselle's Real Estate. I've been listening to Dory for the past few months, and I find his information so helpful, insightful, and on top of that, inspiring as I'm beginning my career in the real estate biz. Thank you, Giselle. I appreciate those kind words. Next up, we have C Bunny 18. I love listening to DeRay's podcast, Before the Millions. It has given me so much insight into the real estate investing game. I highly recommend for anyone, as I have subscribed and listened, because DeRay knows his stuff. Satisfied subscriber here. Thank you, CBunny18. Much, much, much appreciated. Next up, we have Christian Chambonet. I hope I said that right. All of the episodes have great information that I've been able to personally apply to my life. The podcast is full of gems and practical steps that anyone can take. Keep up the good work and pouring into your audience. I appreciate that, Christian. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Mark the Pimp. 
Mark says, I get so much value out of this podcast. All the little nuggets of such value and tangible information is incredible. Really like the way DeRay pushes the mindset and habit changes needed to continue, needed for continued growth and keeps things at a level anyone can follow. I have zero doubts my life will be incredibly different in the very near future. And DeRay is a part of that, whether he realizes it or not. Five stars. Man, that might be my favorite one. I appreciate the kind words, Mark. Next up, we have Megan. So glad I found this podcast. DeRay does such a good job of covering a variety of topics. I would recommend the show for anyone who's looking to learn more about real estate investing. This content is priceless. And then we have Sarah. If you or anyone is looking to learn more about real estate investing, I highly recommend DeRay's podcast before the millions as he gives great, great advice. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Much appreciated. And now we have TWMIG Biz. Yeah, we have TWMIG Biz. I've been a regular listener of the Before the Man's podcast since last year. I haven't been disappointed once since I started listening. The podcast has tremendous value. Subscribe today. Thank you, TWMIG Biz. I appreciate that. Next up, we have Monica, 90,000. Really great podcast, really informative and interesting topics. Great info on my drives to and from my properties. I appreciate that, Monica. Thank you so much. And that is the very last review we have for you guys today. Again, I want to thank everyone who's left a review for the Before the Man's podcast. It's meant more to me than you guys can imagine. And best of all, it's helping iTunes and all of these other podcast aggregators understand that this content needs to be pushed out to more people so that we can create more change. I appreciate you guys. And now on to the show with Mr. Kent Ritter. And now your feature presentation. I started my career as a management consultant at, right, right out of school. Um, and, and I did that for about 12 years. And so, so about, gosh, about six years into that journey of, you know, working with clients and kind of seeing how the, uh, I worked with large health systems, right? And so we, we helped large, large health systems solve big problems is what I say, right? That's why they called us. Um, and just seeing how the market was evolving, we saw certain technologies that these kind of next generation technologies really rising to the top and starting to become more relevant. And, you know, the company that I was with um, had some of their, their own more like bolt on tools that they were selling that, that would, that wouldn't be needed anymore with these new technologies. So, you know, we saw where the market was going, saw where our company was heading, and just saw there was a misalignment there. So that was really what um, really what caused myself and, and several other partners. We were, we were all at the time with the same company to to say, you know what, we think we uh, you know want to go out on our own, and, and we want to make sure that that we can we'll follow the market and and stay in tune. And so it was really just seeing this market shift coming, recognizing that the executives at our company didn't see it. You know, they just had the blinders on. And so we wanted to, that's why we left. And that's why we started our own group. We started a, a consulting firm ourselves, really focused on leveraging these next gen technologies. And we got really good at it. And, and, the, and our secret sauce was that not only do we understand the technology, but we understood the operations as well from our consulting background and we can marry those things together. And, um, and in doing that, we, 
we just kind of hit it at the right time. So some of it was market timing. Some of it was just getting really good at a process and being able to rinse and repeat. And we were, we had a great run. We, we had a six year run. We, we grew the business to about 30 million in annual revenue and about 95 employees. And, uh, you know, at that time, uh, we decided it, it was the right time to exit, uh, cause we got an offer we couldn't refuse. So, you know, you kind of, you, you think about, you know, what, what's going to make you kind of take the next step or do the next move. Well, we really weren't actively thinking about selling or doing anything else, but you know, you get an offer, you can't refuse and, and we had to take it. And so that was really what then set me off on my real estate journey because, you know, we exited the company. I had this capital said, so, well, I, I knew I didn't want to be all in the stock market. I felt like that was having all my eggs in one basket. I already had, you know, I already had all my money in the stock market from it was the only way I was investing at that point. And so I started researching real estate and started diving in and really developed a passion for it. And, um, again, the rest is history. When you think about, and we'll, we'll, we'll work our way up. I don't want to tease too much into the future, but when you think yeah. about the technologies that you were, you were learning about, and then you were eventually implementing, and then you went off to start, you know, build a startup and, you know, use those same, same technologies to scale, do, do any of those things, do they translate to the technology that you're using in real estate? And if not, we'll go a different direction, but do they? Well, I think I would say not directly, but I just think an understand, I, I think what translates extremely well into real estate is one from a consulting aspect, just project management and change management skills, being able to manage large scale change, being able to, to communicate effectively and get people moving in the right direction and then being able to kind of see the vision from beginning to end and, and, and manage it all through. I mean, that's really what we do on our, on our large real estate projects on these syndications, right? It's large scale change on many levels. So one, just the ability to be able to, to manage that effectively Two, just not that it's the same technology, but a huge focus for us is is in technology within real estate. I think technology is so under leveraged in the multifamily space in particular. There's so much upside and it's been a huge focus for us in, in 2020 and 2021 is implementing all these technologies across our portfolio. So just understanding the process of how to vet technologies, how to onboard technologies and how to actually implement a technology into your operations and make it part of your system, I think is extremely important and, and very relevant um, into making our real estate deals successful. When you first got started, Kent, what, what, what was your first kind of endeavor into real estate? Did you jump straight into multifamily and syndications or was it something else? And then you kind of found your footing a little bit later, later on. How did you kind of, you know, how did your journey kind of unfold? Yeah, good question. So no, I, I didn't jump right into multifamily. Um, I the first thing I did was I actually sold um, some houses on contract. So you know, I, I my first contact in real estate was a family friend who was a uh, a commercial uh, commercial broker, or he was a he was a mortgage broker. So you know, he got me connected on the debt side, kind of understanding how things work. And I, I started real, real quick, Kent. You were you yeah. you, just, you know you walked up to him or you you gave him a call or sent him an email. I was like, hey, like company just got sold. I'm kind of bored at the house. Do you have anything for me to do? Like, how did, how did that go? No, it was like, man, let me, how did exactly did it go? So I was interested in real estate. I, I had started, I had started looking at different avenues 
to deploy my capital, right? I knew I didn't want to have it in the stock market. So I was like, okay, what else could I invest in? I started just researching online. I started listening to podcasts about different investment strategies, just felt like real estate was the right way to go. But that was kind of all I knew at that point, you know? And, um, and, and what I really thought was all I really knew about real estate investing, because the, the only experience or the only thing I'd been exposed to were folks that, that were landlords that bought single family rentals and had a couple rentals and, and they, they managed them, you know? So that's kind of what I thought real estate investing was. So, so luckily it was kind of fortuitous. I don't remember what it was, but so the, the, the guy, the gentleman I was talking about is a family friend of my wife's family. They, they had an event, some sort of party or something. And he happened to be there. And I think my father-in-law actually said like, oh, Kent, you should talk to him. He's in real estate. You know, and we started talking. And so, and this is something that, that he had been doing as a strategy. And so basically he brought me in, kind of told me how to do this strategy. You know, I, I did, I, we sold a few houses on contract like that, but about a year into that, uh, one of those houses, uh, one of those houses sold. And because I was the debt, I was on the HUD statement. Right. And I got a copy of that from the title company. And I said, I was like, Oh my God, like this house just doubled in value in a year. And all I'm doing is get my loan paid back. Right. So I was like, forget this. I don't want to be the debt. I was like, I want to own the asset. Right. And so then I started pursuing, okay, how do I own these assets? And then, and I, I had educated myself enough and talked to enough people to know at that point, I didn't want to be a single family landlord. I knew that that wasn't scalable. You know, you do the math on how many houses you have to own and to actually create an income that's worthwhile. And, and, and it's a lot of houses, it's more houses than anybody can manage themselves. And so then I said, okay, well, I learned about multifamily, right? And multifamily, I saw everything that I was seeking, the scale, the sophistication, right? The ability to, um, to have buy, buy a sophisticated business, right? And really r- run it the way that it needs to be run. And then I learned about syndications and said, wow, you can actually invest alongside people that really know what they're doing and kind of ride along in that deal. And, and I, was, I was self-aware enough to know that there was like, I wasn't a real estate expert at that point. I wasn't even like an intermediate you know, expert at that point. So I thought, wow, that's a great way to, to learn more too. Always with an eye on wanting to, to own myself, wanting to own multifamily on my own, but say, wow, if I can get a, to be a part of these deals, then I can, uh, I'm sure that's a great way to learn more. And, and it was, so I went out and I invested in 10 different deals in, in 2016. I invested in 10 deals with a handful of different operators, really as a kind of a masterclass, like a case study of what, what do I like? What do I not, what do I not like? Right. Like get a flavor from these different, these different operators and be able to take what I like and, and discard what I don't. And it was a a great kind of next level education. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. What did you, what did you start to notice uh, with those 10 different deals? What were some of the key, like the key insights that you had just by being so diverse? Man, communication was the thing that stuck out the most is like some operators, communicated very well. And you, you always felt like you knew what was going on and, and you felt comfortable with what they were doing and others just went radio silent. And I'm just like, you know, where's my money? What's happening? What's going on? Right. And you reach out to them, you don't hear anything. And so, and, and, and communication is just huge for me. I think that just in life, right. Everything is about communication. All problems, most all problems stem from bad communication right? Like I I always tell this story about how when I was a consultant, I I would fly every week, 
out, out Monday, back Thursday. So a lot of times on airplanes and you see the best and worst of humanity in airports, right? Like when flights are delayed, people lose it, right? You see people up there yelling and all this. Well, I started paying attention to that. So like, like why sometimes is it fine? And other times people are just like totally losing their, their stuff. And it really comes down to communication. It's like the airlines that, that communicate proactively and say, Hey, here's what's going on. We're working through this, blah, blah, blah. People are usually like, okay with that. They understand stuff happens. The ones that don't tell you, those are the ones that have people yelling at the counter. And it's the same thing with, with these deals. Like, like people are investing a significant amount of money and they want to know what's happening. And like good and bad news too, right? Like you need to be communicating bad news as well and communicating bad news in a way that you're not provide, you're not putting the problem on your investors, but you're, you're saying, Hey, here's the problem, but like, here's three solutions I've thought of to solve that problem. Right. So you're being proactive about it. So like, that was a big thing I took away was this communication and how to communicate. Absolutely. When you think about your progression from there, I mean, you invested in 10 deals almost at one time. It was probably over a six or, you know, eight, eight or. One yeah, year. it was th- throughout the year, but yeah, I mean, relatively short period of time. Right. And, and when did you, when did you start to understand or when did you start to feel comfortable with you maybe being a GP yourself and going out to raise capital? So I was going to a ton of conferences. That's the other thing I started doing was started going to like eight, 10, probably more than that real estate conferences a year. And just using that as a way to educate myself. Right. And, and conferences are kind of funny because there's like two areas of a conference. There's like inside the room where the person's prevent presenting. Right. And then there's outside the room in the hallway where everybody's out there networking and, and moving around and, and trying to meet each other and, and, and make deals, put deals together, do all this. Right. So when I first started going to conferences, I spent the entire time in the room learning and I was taking furious notes because everything was new to me. Well, you, you, you start like, I don't know, fast forward maybe 18 months and I'm in the room and I'm like, man, I know this stuff. Like, I know what this guy's saying, like, or, and some of it, like I know it actually better than some, some of these people. And so then I started spending more time out in the room and start networking and started. So I recognized that the thought leaders I was hearing from, I knew what they were saying. I recognized what they're talking about. I knew the strategies and that's where I started to build this level of comfort. And then I started meeting with, um, so the, the best example is the firm I'm with now is Burgeon held. And I was an investor with them first. So they were one of the firms that I started investing with. And through that, I built this relationship with them that, that has developed into me being a partner there now. And, you know, they, they really allowed me to come in behind the curtain and, and meet their folks and really ask questions. And again, in those conversations, I, I it was just validation and saying, wow, I know what these guys are talking about. I know why they did that. I understand it. So I think it was just through that, through those different kind of points of validation that I started to gain mm-hmm. confidence. I love that. Absolutely. So you have all this confidence and you have the experience. You, you, you're seeing, you're actually seeing your returns. You're, you're understanding um, what you like and what you're looking for mm-hmm. and you're seeing what all these other operators are doing. At what point did you start to maybe contact brokers or actually go out and start to source your own deal? Yeah. Yeah. Probably, um, 2017, 2018. So probably like, like a year, year and a half in to being a passive investor. Um, I joined, I joined a couple of, uh, of programs like mentorship programs and through those really just following the steps, you know, the the steps became, you know, reach out to brokers, start networking, start practicing underwriting, start doing all these things. So while I was in those deals, I was kind of doing this practice where like, 
you know, in 2018, I had a goal to underwrite, um, underwrite two deals a week, you know? And so I was just under, just practicing underwriting, just getting on brokers lists and just getting deals and just practicing and saying like, okay, you know, how does this, how does this come out? Does this make sense? And then using the mentorship program to kind of bounce things off of and continue to learn. Right. So, excuse me. So I, I developed broker relationships through that. I really in earnest started probably like mid 2018, of being like, okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna I'm gonna get my own deal, and um, and yeah, and that started with networking with brokers. Started with um, starting. I mean, a big a big piece of this is raising the equity, right? So it's having discussions with people, and something that really surprised me was, and I was I was told this by a mentor of mine is like is like I really needed to change how people viewed me because people don't view me as a real estate expert, a real estate investor. And so I really had to make an effort to change the perception of my friends and family. Um, You know, I'd had business success, so that definitely helped credibility, but from a real estate standpoint, people just didn't view me that way. So having to, you know, talk to them about, Hey, here's, here's what I'm working on. Here's the benefits, right. And just get that pitch together, right. To change their perspective so that they'd be ready to invest. So I kind of started both of those probably in end of 18 or so. Absolutely. So Kent, we're going to fast forward just a little bit because I'm really excited to kind of get into the technology piece, but you you start to, you start to get in on deals from the GP side, you start to source and find your deals and raise the money yourself. And now you're on the on the ground floor. Now you're actually seeing hand over fist what's actually going on. When do you start to get this inkling that there's a technology play that you can possibly uh, that you can possibly pursue? Yeah. So just being being inside the deals and, and really being like headfirst into property management and asset management and just just seeing how things like kind of seeing the status quo, if you will. Right. And then just from my, my consulting brain, which is always working on how do you improve process, right? Constantly improving process, always improving. And the technology side, I just, I just started seeing these gaps of like, and and coming from my own industry experience of like working in things like in places like call centers, um, and say like, wow, that's not really something that exists in the multifamily world where I think there, there's a huge opportunity to centralize some of these things. I started just recognizing these gaps and just started- uh, get, 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 get specific <coughs> with those types of examples. I think that, that's really dope. Yeah. So, um, well, so one of the things that, that we've done is, is really when you're approaching technology, I think it's like when you look at the prop tech world right now, one of the things I think it's difficult is just so overwhelming because there's so many companies and so many different solutions out there right now. So what we did was said, okay, we need to define use cases. What's the most important thing to solve? And then let's go and let's try to solve that. So the first use case that we really wanted to solve was, you know, how do you, how do we create a better leasing process? And so and so what we did was how do we create a process where people, where you don't have to rely on the leasing agent or property manager's schedule, you know, for interaction, you don't have to, um, you, and, and you can just do it in a way where you, where you can leverage technology, right? So the example is we've put smart locks in our property. We, through those smart locks, which we can control via phone or via an app, uh, we can not only control access to our property, but we can also give prospective tenants 
access to the property. So we've implemented the smart locks. We've implemented a self-guided tour technology, which allows folks to come and tour the property on their own time through a curated tour that is just on their phone through the app and through geolocation. For example, the, the prospect walks up to the pool uh, because it's tracking them on their phone, it knows they're at the pool and it pops up and says, welcome to the pool. Here's all the great information about the pool, right? So it's like your best leasing agent on their best day, doing their best pitch all the time. And it's professionally voice recorded. So in doing this, what it's allowed us to do, it's allowed us to expand our leasing hours, right? People can come and they can tour apartments until 8 p.m. at night. Um, it's, it's freed up property management's time. And it's, it's been just an amazing solution. And, and because of virtual leasing, they can sign up for a lease and, and through DocuSign, sign a lease right there without ever having interacted with a person. It's really a, a contactless process, which really evolved through COVID. I mean, the need for that. That was my next um, question. I was like, that, pro- that sounds like a COVID evolvement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it started pre-COVID, but really was, was boosted as a lot of technology was right because of COVID and the right. need to evolve. And so we've developed this process now where people can come and tour our apartments, sign up online through the website for a tour. They do it all through the app. They get a code that gives them one-time entrance into the property and into into the unit that's available. Um, And then they get a curated tour as they walk through and they can sign up and they never have to physically meet with a person. I love that. So just just something like that is, I think, just game-changing from the multifamily space. So sorry for my ignorance, but is there, is, is there a way for you to scale what you've done? Like not only within like your multifamily units, but other GPs and syndicators, like, is there a way for you to monetize on that? You know, I, th- I think where the, I think the way to monetize would be around uh, this kind of centralized, this call center idea. I think this idea around like centralized leasing Right. That's enabled by um, by things like self-guided tours, but then having instead of having to have, for example, um, leasing agents at every property, you have a centralized group that then could um, that are just great at selling properties, right? S- great at selling apartments, and have them work in a centralized call center. And be able to do that for an entire portfolio or even do that, you know, from a third party standpoint, do that for others, right? right? And allow others to reduce their management expense by, by turning over a lot of their leasing through the technology, but also through this kind of centralized model. Right. How, how far down that, that ratchet hole or, or that path, rather, how far down that path are you? Is it something that you guys have just thought about? You guys have maybe strategized on a little bit? Is it something you guys already started implementing? What's kind of the plan there? So we're implementing in our own portfolio and we've thought about uh, once we've you know nailed it on our own portfolio, offering it to others. So I think it is a very interesting idea. I think it's a service that people could get a lot of value out of. Absolutely. I'm loving that. So we got, we got these super futuristic call centers. We got these, uh, these super futuristic virtual tours. What else uh, in the technology space have you been able to leverage uh, in, your, in your real estate dealings? Well, just so, something that is is very new, um, but I, I'm extremely excited about is just the, the ability to use um, AI, things like like AI. And, and AI is a very broad term, but but just advanced computational technology like that, right? And machine learning and all these things to 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 like 
help us make better decisions. I think a lot of decisions in real estate are still made off a gut feel. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of people that just have a lot of experience um, and they do it off a gut. Just want to throw a random example out there. Are are you, or can this relate to daily pricing? Like how prices make flush fluctuate, you know, on a day-to-day basis for rents. Is that, is that something I, absolutely. And there is some, there is some technology like that, that, that does like, there is dynamic pricing for rents that, you know, surveys the market based on demand will, will increase or, or decrease pricing. That's why like sometimes if you've ever gone to a property website and you see like the one bedrooms are more expensive than two bedrooms, it's because you've got that dynamic pricing going on and things can right. get kind of out of whack. But, but what I mean is like, like helping us making better buying decisions, right? Is is one use case of this. So so for example, being able to really like we've done things like regression analysis and, and ways and have some data scientists that have looked at like what makes deals really successful. Like what are the variables that really matter, right? But if you can do this in a you know, in, in, in a scaled way, feeding data from sources that are, that are public, private, your own portfolio, all into a centralized model that then can inform your decision-making relative to, you know, like feeding things in like crime and demographics, portfolio performance, all of this. I mean, help weather could be involved. Like there's just so many things that you can bring in um, to the model. I think it's, it's something very new that we're exploring, but I think so many applications and and so much power um, to just enable decision-making. I also think just in, in portfolio performance as well, like, so we have 1500 units. We, we have, or excuse me, 15,000, uh, 65 something properties. And, and I don't, but I don't know that we could succinctly say, why does one property perform better than another property? Like there's guesses, right. Or there's maybe some things that really stick out, but using, using AI to really just evaluate that and tell us. And, and cause what it'll do is it, it just, it's always optimizing and it's solving for like the most optimal situation. And so if you're looking at these different properties, again, what are the variables that really matter? And what are the things that really move the needle? I think that's, I think just the, the ability to use advanced technologies to help better decision-making, like buying decision-making, operating decision-making, I think is what's really exciting. I love that. Absolutely. When you speak to your company, just vetting some of these new technologies, then onboarding some of the ones that you choose from the vetting process and then implementing mm-hmm. where, I guess, what's the, what's the original source? Is it you guys personally hearing about these technologies and then presenting it to the board or is it, you know, outside people coming in and kind of being like, Hey, this is what we have to offer. And then what does that vetting process look like? Yeah, no, this is like, uh, this was like consulting, like 101. This is what I did for, for a lot of other clients. I was able to implement, you know, within our own company, but just this process of, of narrowing down this vendor selection, right? Because there's, I mean, I think part of the problem is there's so many options. There's so many options. PropTech has exploded in, in, since 2019, really, with like billions, $20 billion a year in investment or something. And, um, so what we did was first you gotta you have to decide the use case, right? And I think you have to get really specific on like what is the problem you're trying to solve? And then you need to understand the requirements 
um, of, of the solution that's going to solve that problem. So you've got to start with what creating the list of requirements and requirements for us were like, we use real page, uh, for property management, but also for a lot of different things. So like it had to integrate well with real page for an example, but like you, so coming up with all these different requirements, having those outlined and then going through just a systematic process of identifying the top vendors through research and then bringing them through a process where you're able to vet them. So we created a scorecard. You fill out the scorecard, the ones that rise to the top, rise to the top, right? You bring them in for demos. You do this whole process so you can get down and understand what you're looking for. I think one decision that we had to make was, you know, are we going to take a best of breed approach, which means you you get the best like solution uh, and and bundle them together, right, to get the best in each thing? Or do you get more of a holistic approach, like a single source where it's like one company that can do everything? Or do you have kind of a hybrid? Well, we decided we really wanted to, to go best of breed. We wanted the best in each aspect. And, and so that discounted or that that got rid of certain companies, right? Because they only wanted to sell us the bundle. And it brought other, it bubbled other companies up because we wanted them companies that just did that solution. They did that the best, right? So this, I think under, I think the way that you, where people run into trouble is just kind of diving in and starting to just talk with all these vendors and you end up in your head is just spinning. You've got to go through it in a very systematic way. You've got to define your requirements and then have a scorecard to understand like who's meeting those requirements and who's not. And that's how you'll kind of funnel down to the group that you actually want to really want to talk to and demo and kind of go through that with. Absolutely, Kent. This has been an amazing interview already. When you think about your your life and your schedule, do you do you feel as though your schedule today is a little bit chill, laid back, or do you feel as though it's super demanding? And you know, I'm asking this because it can sound like, hey, like I'm you know always looking at deals that other syndicators are sending me. I'm always looking for deals for myself. I'm always networking mm-hmm. with brokers. I'm looking at these new technologies. I'm you know interviewing. I'm doing research. I'm doing all of this. But I mean, it could be really simple and chill. I don't know how you kind of structured everything. What is what does that look yeah. like? Uh, you know, I'll be honest. I, I I work more now than I ever did uh, at my corporate job. But uh, the difference is, I love what I'm doing. Uh, I'm just I'm super passionate about real estate. Like if I wanted to, yeah, I could totally be just all passive and uh, play golf and and do what what people do. But I love hunt. I love finding deals. I, I love the process. Um, I. I really enjoy talking with people about real estate. I mean, that's why I started my own podcast. That's why I started my own meetup. Like, you know, I, I, like I don't have to do those things. I just really enjoy it. Um, I, I found a passion in real estate that uh, kind of surprised me, but I just, I'm really, really enjoying it and just working super hard to, to try to build out, build out, continue to build out the company, build out, you know, my network and just, um, and like all this stuff about the technology, um, it's just a lot of fun. I, I think there's so much runway of opportunity that I, I just want to be a part of like figuring that out for multifamily. Right. And then, and then speaking to like the average day, um, getting granular a little bit, what does that yeah. look like? You wake up and work out or yoga, and then you get straight into work for the next eight to 10 to 14 hours. And then I know you got kids and a wife. So how does all, how do you factor in everything? Yeah. So, uh, so I'm a big miracle morning proponent. Um, I don't know if, if you guys have talked about that on the show before, but, but essentially what that it, it's a great book. If you haven't read it, I would read it. Um, essentially the idea of it is just wake up an hour earlier than you did before and, and do six things that get you started right for the day. 
Um, one of those is meditation, which, which for me is the most important. Um, so I'm a big meditation proponent. I think that's what keeps me centered and focused and gets all the noise out of my head when, uh, when things are just coming at me from 18 different directions. Um, I exercise similarly, extremely important. So I try to start my morning with those things, uh, every day, try to make sure I'm reading to, uh, even if it's just a little bit like, like for me, one thing that's changed, changed for me is like, like I used to look at reading a book of like, Oh, I never have time because I used to think about it. Like you have to sit, if you're going to read, sit down for like an hour, two hours and read, I will read like a page or two pages a day. I'll read for like 10 minutes if that's all I have, but at least you're making progress. And like, you'll be surprised how many books you can read just doing that as long as you're doing it every day. So things like that, that's how I start my day. And then, yeah, then I hit it, you know, hit the day. Usually it's a mix of podcasts, whether it's my own podcast or being on other people's podcasts, uh, meetings with asset management on, on, on current deals that we own, uh, meetings with uh, my partner who, who really leads a lot of the deal sourcing for new deals, um, looking at the new deals and underwriting, things like that, putting together strategies around technology, like we talked about. Um, and then, yeah, I, I try to cut it off at five o'clock every day so that I have time for the kids. Um, you know, I really block my calendar off and make sure that I can have from like five to eight for the family and the kids. And then typically at you know, eight o'clock, I'm usually, um, trying to get a couple more things done, uh, during the day. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, I'm working a ton, but, but honestly I'm enjoying it and it's, it's a self-imposed, right. Which is, I think the most important thing. Um, I think, you know, you told me that a lot of your listeners are, are folks that are professionals, but, you know, might be interested in, in leaving their W2 or maybe becoming real estate investors. And that's where I was like, like I was, you know, we sold, so I talked about selling the company. Well, we sold the company to another company, right? And when you, when you sell a company, they don't just hand you a check and say, okay, we'll see you later. Like they say, no, now you got to like run it for us and make sure that, that like we actually bought something, especially in consulting because you're buying the people for the most part, the people in the process. So so I had, you know, we, there was an earnout period. And so I was a, a corporate executive in a much larger company so I can relate. Right. And, uh, and I was working hard doing that, but I, I just, I always had the feeling that like I, I'm living somebody else's dream, right. I'm making somebody else rich. And, um, and so even though now I'm working harder, I'm doing it for myself and that feels pretty good. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, no, your your industry, you know, you're as a multifamily operator. You you've been around a lot of people. You've been on podcasts. You've had people on your podcast. You have meetups, and you hear a lot of different types of advice. Some you agree with, some you don't. And and what what's the one piece of advice that's a bad recommendation that you hear over and over again in your profession or your area of expertise that really just irks you and you just kind of want to set the record straight today on this podcast? <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um... Man, the fact that you have to go big, the fact that you have to go big right away. And what I mean by, by that is like, like a lot of people in these programs talk about like, oh, you need to be buying hundred plus units. You need to be buying 150 plus units, 200 plus units right away to start, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to have professional management. Right. Um, I mean, I just bought a 50 unit property like three weeks ago. 
And it's going to be an amazing investment. And we've been buying smaller properties in more tertiary markets because the return profile is better. Because big, because because everybody in these programs is going after big properties, the competition is insane. And so things are getting bid up and it's impossible to buy right. And if you're not buying it at the right price, your investment's never going to be successful because you're never going to be able to sell it for the price that you need to sell it to make what you put in your spreadsheet become a reality and like actually work. Right. So just this idea that you have to go big, like buy a 10 unit, learn how to manage it. Like, that's great. That's, that's such good experience. I mean, buy a, buy a duplex, like house hack, you know, like what I tell, so I I have a lot of younger people come to my meetup and, and they ask me, you know, how do you get started? And, and, and I tell them house hack, buy a duplex, live in half, rent the other half out, learn how to learn how to renovate, right? Learn the construction aspect, learn the management aspect, use that to um, pay your mortgage, live there for a year and then rinse and repeat, you know, and in four years you'll have eight units. So, um, so yeah, the idea that you you have to go big or or like don't go at all, I think is, is false. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking to, you know, how the market is today and a lot of people overbidding, what's your, What's your opinion when that happens? Again, most people you would think are operating from very similar underwriting models. So for, you know, one operator to to drastically overbid, do you think that they're just finding some kind of forced equity nobody knows about? Or do you think that these are the operators that are failing in their business? uh, I mean, there's no secret, right? Like there's no secret that like this guy has over here, that's going to allow him to pay 2 million more for a property than like everybody else is is able to pay. Right. It's just, I think it comes down to, um, you know, some, some people are conservative in underwriting. everybody. So everybody says they're conservative in their underwriting. Like nobody's ever going to come up to you and be like, Oh, I'm an aggressive underwriter. Like my my projections are super aggressive. They might not happen. (laughs) Everybody says they're conservative, but I think when you look at it, um, that's what, that's what separates things, right? It, it, it comes down to what are the expectations that you put, you put in your spreadsheet and how likely are those to actually occur? Right. Cause I think, I think a lot of these, like if you're bidding on deals in Phoenix right now, you're probably competing against 30 people. I mean, literally 30 people in a deal. And, and the person that that's going to end up buying those, um, is going to have a really hard time, um, executing in a way that, that they're going to be egg, be able to exit at a price that is, uh, you know, that's going to get them the return that they need. I mean, a lot of what I'm seeing is like the spreadsheet may be great. And, and yes, you're putting, you know, people are putting uh, cap rate expansion in like you're underwriting, you're putting a 10 basis point cap rate expansion in per year for each year you own, which is kind of the benchmark. Right. But in doing that, it, at, at, but I don't think what people are looking at close enough is what what's the per unit sale price you have to sell at to make your model work. Because a lot of what we're having to do is we're ha- we're running it through the model and looking at that number and saying, man, okay, that's like sixty thousand more than any like any comparable property has ever sold for in that market ever. Like, is it likely that's going to happen? It's unlikely. So we're actually cutting that number down and bringing that down and saying, okay, well, the model said all this, but like at the end of the day, we've got to make some manual adjustments there. And I think that's where, 
that's where you have to be realistic is like, there's only so much that, that folks are going to pay for an apartment, especially if it's built in the sixties, seventies, right. With all the deferred maintenance. Um, and you've got to keep a, a view on replacement cost. Like if you're buying something that was built in the eighties and you're buying it for 10 grand less than I could build it new, mm. that's probably not a good investment, but I'm seeing those things happen. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor. With as little as $500, watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S., Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from. With the click of a button, you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the Jobs Act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about, much less invest in. Now, what I like about Fundrise is they're ridiculously low advisory fees. So dig this at 1.5%, my actual returns on Fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets, even though they advertise higher returns. So Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market. That link one last time is beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Man, my favorite. Um, so real estate related book or? Absolutely. Just- the, the book that most likely helped you the most as you got started in real estate. Ah, well, there was. Um, so there's a book uh, by these guys, Jake and Gino, who have a podcast. Uh, and it's called Wheel Bell Profits. And it's... Um, it's admittedly a little outdated now because it was it was probably written in 2017 or so. So so some of the like they talk about eight percent cap rates and things, and those just don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But the book is a really easy intro into multifamily real estate and, and and the different aspects of it. And so it's like a great beginner's guide to just get an overview. And, and I think it's very approachable for people. Mm-hmm. Um, the the more like masterclass book I would say is. Probably uh, Joe Fairless's book, like the best ever apartment syndication book. Like if you want to be a syndicator, read that book. Um, Joe basically kind of put everything that he knows into that book. And uh, and I know because I, I'm a student of Joe's, he's a mentor of mine and uh, and it's all in there. So it, it, it's a good resource. Absolutely. Both of those recommendations I recommend as well. Uh, Jake and Gina were on episode 13. I think that was back in 2017. Uh, awesome and, guys. Uh, absolutely. And Joe is a, also a, a mentor of mine as well. So we share that in common. Right on. Absolutely. So next question, what is your favorite lifestyle design or business app? This can be a, this can be an app or a tool. Calendly. Calendly is like, has changed my life of not having to go back and forth on scheduling 
Um, so yeah, Calendly has been a huge, um, just huge leverage for me of like scheduling for my podcast and doing all the things. Basically it's just, it's, it's automating the process of scheduling meetings and allowing people to go and book on your calendar at times you're available. So it's very helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Freedom, time freedom. So, so I talked about, I work a lot, right. But I get to choose when I work. So the, like, for example, you know, it's, I live in Indianapolis and so Indianapolis is a, is a, can be a colder place. Like right now we had snow today and uh, it's like, what the hell it's April 1st. This is, this is a joke. It must be, but uh, you know, we had a, we had a nice day, let's say a couple of weeks ago and I, I knocked off at two o'clock and took my kids to the park. Uh-huh. You know, if I was working in a, in, in a corporate office, I wouldn't be able to do that. So just the free, and that's, I mean, that my whole why for doing all this really is, goes back to my kids and goes back to one. I mean, that, that informed selling the business. It informed getting into real estate, but just wanting to be the type of father that I want to be wanting to be around for my kids and not wanting to have my kids say, man, my dad was gone a lot. Cause I was, cause of my old job, I had to travel constantly. So yeah. So it's just the freedom of time. I love that. Absolutely. What about the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, right? Like I, I wake up at, I wake up at 5am. I would say it's probably creeped now more into like 6am, but I mean, there was a solid three years where I was up at 5am every day when I was working at my W2, where I was doing real estate from like five to seven. Then I was helping get the kids ready. Then I was doing my W2. Then I was coming home with the kids. And then after the kids went to bed, I was doing real estate for a couple more hours. So I was I mean, I was legitimately working 16 hour days for, for quite a long time. So I think just, you got to be willing to put in the work, I think is the sacrifice. I mean, I think there's like, I have, I'm a hundred percent confident that if you put in the work with, with multifamily real estate, that you can be financially free in in three to five years, I'm proof of it. I've done it. You just have to be willing to, to put in the work. And I think the other sacrifice is just from a, a budget standpoint, you know, if you're making a transition from a steady W-2 income to being on your own, like there's some some cuts you're going to have to take in the near term, lifestyle cuts to to just um, slow slow your cash burn, right? So that you can you can uh, you know until you can build up that income uh, from your your venture. Absolutely, I love that. Who was essential to your growth before the millions, and why? Man, I don't know if I can just say one person, but I will say, here's what I'll say at, at different points in time along my career. I think, so we talked about like Jake and Gino and especially Gino Barbaro was, was critical in just expanding my mindset and getting me over some limiting beliefs around um, that, I, that I could go out and do this and I could run my own syndications and I could, you know, I, I could lead all this. I mean, um, and just get, and just getting me through that. And, um, so I think he was, he has been instrumental and he continues to be a huge, uh, support system for me. Um, I think another person I would say is tag Burge who, so the company I'm with is Burge and held. So he's the Burge of Burge and held. He, um, he's a personal mentor of mine. I mean, even before I was working there, at, you know, as an investor, as I started to do my own deals, he was there to look over my shoulder 
I mean, the guy's got like 30 years of real estate experience. So he's looking over my shoulder, helping me, you know, avoid mistakes, things like that. Um, and then giving me the opportunity to come in his firm and kind of work off this, uh, this really advanced platform. So, I mean, it's been instrumental to where I'm at. Absolutely. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Fear. I think a lot of it is fear. Like you just, um, the unknown, right? You, you've got to be willing to, to take a leap. You've got to be willing to, um, to put in the work. So I, I, fear is one thing I think of, of getting started. I think, I think two is, I think a lot of people, like I, one of my old business partners used to say, like, everybody wants the asset, but nobody wants the liability. And like, what he meant by that is like, everybody wants the upside, but, but when you really dig into it, people don't want the downside, the work that it takes to get there. And I think whether you're, it's a startup or anything, like, I mean, a lot of people want to, if they're really honest with themselves, they want to come home at night and, and like crack a beer and watch TV and, and just like zone out. Uh, they don't want to work on two or three hours of, of real estate stuff a night, you know, um, after they've already work, worked a full day. So I think you got to be willing to put in the work. Uh, I think any, you can achieve anything if you're willing to put in the work. And and part of putting in the work is just getting started. So something that I really had to overcome and, and now I really live by is like improvement through iteration versus seeking perfection at the beginning, you know, where or I would kind of just you just, you, you, you just not start because like, it's not perfect. It's not ready. It's not ready. Right. And, uh, look at my podcast. When I started, I really had to get over that. Like if I was waiting for the perfect podcast, like I'd still be waiting, you know, I wouldn't have started yet, but just getting started and improving through iteration, meaning, meaning constant improvement, but you're only, you're the only way you really improve is by doing. So whether it's, you know, like I said, whether it's, you know, buying a duplex and figuring that out or, um, whatever it is, it's just getting started. If it's investing passively, if that's your way, just getting started. Like I invested passively and I learned a ton through that. So like, just get started. I love it. I love it. Mr. Kent Ritter, ladies and gentlemen, Kent, if the, lady, if the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to ask you a question or two, maybe even just pop in and say, hi, where can they find some of your information? Yeah. So I'm a pretty easy guy to get a hold of. You can go to kentritter.com. And you can uh, sign up for our newsletter. You can sign up to be an investor. There's just resources on there about investing and how it all works. Uh, I'm active on on social, especially LinkedIn. So you can absolutely find me there if you want to just shoot me a message. And lastly, I would say, you know, check out my podcast. It's called Ritter on Real Estate. And what we focus on is uh, just helping people make better investing decisions. Love it. And the links uh, to everything that we talked about on today's episode will be in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. Kent, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for the value that you've provided to myself and my listeners. And we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, Dre. I really appreciate it, man. I had a, had a blast today.